When you make decisions for your company, you always look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing and shipping to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your process to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, books, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart if you sell online. Schedule package pickups through the dashboard and automatically see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers with rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are, even on the go. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other business decision makers with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. What the hell's the name of this thing? The Ballsy Podcast. Hosted by the award-winning Evan Grant. Before I come across the table and rip Barry's throat out. Kevin Sherrington. I'm going to say to you what you said to me a while ago. Shut up. Barry Horn. I'm going to bring milk and cookies next week. Get ready for the most listened to sports podcast in Dallas-Fort Worth. I'm Evan Grant, and this is Ballsy. I'm Kevin Sherrington, and in this episode, we'll be talking about the Rangers. And I'm Barry Horn. To hear our other exciting additions, simply subscribe to the Ballsy Podcast on iTunes. You know we're on Facebook and Twitter, too. Just search Ballsy Podcast. That's Ballsy with a Z. So sit back, relax, that's relax with an X, and enjoy another edition of the Rangers Ballsy with a Z Podcast. Yes, and welcome into another edition of the Ballsy Podcast brought to you by the Dallas Morning News. I'm Sean Bass of Sports Radio 1310 and 96.7 FM. The ticket in studio this week with Kevin Sherrington. And on our phone line, it is the Rangers beat writer for the Morning News. It's one Evan Grant coming to us live from Boston. Evan, do you read us? I do. <laughs> what, you had to think about it for a minute? Come hey, on, you had, pal. You had to contemplate. I like to choose my words very carefully. That's uh, that's that's not a bad thing. That's not a bad thing when we are in the audio medium and people are going to be listening to this. That's not unlike. That's unlike how he eats. <laughs> Speaking of eating, uh, so what has been the fare so far in Beantown, or have you even ventured out? Oh, Sean, you saw my picture of a big stuffed lobster last night. I did. I did. How was it? Was it was it scrumptious? It was delicious and rich, and um, it's stuffed with like. Uh, Big pieces of Ritz cracker and gobs of butter yeah. and um, sounds like it's really good for onions. you. Yeah, I, it might have stayed with me all night. <laughs> wow. Well, I hope you can fight through it as we broadcast on a Tuesday as we record this. It is storming in Dallas as we record. Uh, I'm sure the weather's probably a little bit more agreeable up in your neck of the woods in Boston as they start up a three-game series tonight at Fenway Park and. Before we get to the Red Sox series, let's just talk about this stretch of good baseball. And you have some people sniping saying, yeah, well, they've won 11 of 12, but look who they've done it against. It's either been uh, the Tigers or a bunch of sub-500 teams. But honestly, with where this thing was throughout all of April and bleeding into May, it doesn't matter who they've played. Just seeing a better brand of baseball and getting over 500, you, you can't understate that enough. No, I, I don't think. It's understate or overstate? Overstate, right? excuse me. I guess over. you can't overstate that enough. Yeah, I, I mean, you scramble back from seven games under, and, and you were looking very much at a double-digit deficit in the American League West. And 
and here you are right now it, sitting there on the on what amounts to the precipice of holding one of the wild card spots and in a much more manageable six game deficit with the the uh, Astros coming to town in in ten days so you've got more opportunity to continue to chip away and and I do think you you once again have what amounts to an American League West race. I think it's a two team race, but uh, I think that's what you've got. Evan, are you being transported by aliens while you're speaking to us? Why do I sound funny? Yeah, well, not you know, probably no more funny than usual. But uh, but anyway, okay, it's better now. That's good. So, Evan, let's let's talk about this series here with the Red Sox. Uh, a, a very uh, a very good young team. Uh, in, in the column that that you uh, made me write uh, for the the morning news on Tuesday, <laughs> with a gun trained to your head, yeah, it's talking about uh, the these these fine young players that they have, and, and and as I compared them with the Rangers trio, I took the Red Sox trio of of uh, Mookie Betts and Bogarts and um, Andrew Benatendi uh, and talked about uh, how these this is the nucleus of that team, or it's becoming the nucleus. They still have a, a lot of really good veterans on that team as well. Uh, but uh, that that is the way baseball is trending, is it not, towards uh, we're, we're, they're trying to get younger all the time? Absolutely, you know, I, absolutely. I think you're trying to to get guys to the big league, especially guys that you pay big bonuses to, and and uh, as soon as they show that they can contribute, you're trying to get them up there and maximize the the, the six year window for them. But uh, you know, guys under the age of 25, I, when you're talking about Elvis Andrus breaking in at 20, and when you're talking about um, No More Mazzara at 20, excuse me. Um, I think you're talking about guys who are really young. Uh, Bogarts was—he was 20 when he got his his first call up, but he didn't really establish himself as a starter until 21. Uh, Benatendi is uh, is going to be 23. This is about the age when guys should start to to hit the big leagues. But what they're doing is they're making big contributions. Um, it used to be when you broke a guy in as a rookie, unless you were a second division team, you weren't going to get a uh, a real significant role. And I think now it's it's operated much more on, on the idea of a, to to use a very overused word of meritocracy. That that if these guys come up and, and they're talented and, and they can play, then they're going to get an opportunity to do so. And and that's both what the Red Sox have done with with Benatendi and 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 Bogarts and. Uh, and, and to a lesser extent with, well, with Betts as well, and to a lesser extent with Jackie Bradley Jr., who's now 27, um, and what the Rangers have done with, with Mazzara and Odor and and um, Gallo. So what are they going to do with uh, Mazzara and Odor and Gallo? Now, we, we've Mazzara has started to heat up a little bit. Uh, Ruggie has still continued to flounder. Uh, and Gallo is kind of all over the map. Um, what do you think is going to happen when Adrian Beltre comes back? Good question. Um, it's a really good question. I, I think that the best answer I can give you right now, Kevin, is that I think you're going to, and I know you're not a real advocate of this, but I think that at least in the short term, you're going to see Joey Gallo kind of ping-pong a little bit between left field, first base, and maybe some DH. Um, the line of the shields has really done what the Rangers need him to do in left field, and that's get on base and add a speed component. 
Uh, at first base, Mike Napoli has started to heat up a little bit, uh, but his OPS still isn't in, in the same uh, area code as, as Joe, Joey Gallows. Uh, but I think there's going to be opportunities, especially with Carlos Gomez out for another, what amounts to probably another four weeks, to, to slide the shields into center field, put Gallo in left, and, and Napoli at first base on some days. And some days against right-handed pitchers, you may want Napoli uh, either on the bench or at DH and Gallo in left field. I mean, Gallo at first base and having Jared Hoying on the field. So they've got the opportunity to move those guys around. And, and I just think that, yeah, you, the perfect situation for Joey would be, okay, just go out and play one position and, and that's it. But there is no perfect situation. He wouldn't be on the team if it weren't for Adrian Beltre being hurt in the first place. He got his opportunity to play this year based on an imperfect situation. And so if he's going to stay here, he's going to have to excel in what amounts to an imperfect situation. Evan, I'm, we had a discussion this morning on the air uh, with Craig and uh, George about Joey Gallo, and they're a little mystified at what he is. And I guess most casual baseball fans have a tough time getting their head around somebody that's going to lead the major leagues in strikeouts, hit those amount of home runs that he's going to end up with, yet still bat under 200. People need to be looking at the OPS. That's the that's the argument I had. But how tough is it, not only not only for people to come to terms with what Joey Gallo is, but Joey Gallo coming to terms with what he is, if you have to put him in different positions. Well, I think Joey's come to. I think Joey's come to the best realization that he is who he is. Um, does he feel most comfortable at third base? Yeah, but I think he's also mature enough to know that when Adrian Beltre is here, that for the next year and a half, he's going to be playing somewhere other than third base. Uh, I think he's also, I, I think because he's such a big guy, sometimes people forget that he's such a good athlete, but he's he's a really good base runner. I think he can uh, cover the ground in left field uh, at least adequately, and I think he can play an adequate first base. The most important thing is that he's got to come to grips with what he is as a hitter, and that is a big strikeout guy who's also going to hit some home runs. And I think he has kind of come to that this year. I, I, he said it over and over again, and, and Jeff Bannister has said it, that, that in his conversations with Joey, he's basically told him, you know, don't go up there being afraid to strike out. That's going to happen. And I just think that the question the Rangers are going to have to answer in their mind is, is what's acceptable, because he – He's hitting 184 now, and I don't anticipate that the batting average is going to jump sky high. Uh, he's always going to be a guy who hovers. Well, I don't want to say always, but I think he's going to be a guy at this stage in his career who hovers right around the 200 mark for batting average. But that's not that's not the scale that he's going to be measured on. I think the OBP has got to come up a little bit to 320, 330. Uh, it's at 300 right now. I think the slugging percentage. If it stays at 500, that's fantastic. If it goes down to 475 or so, then he's going to have to have that that high on base percentage component. Well, at least he's found like a level of normalcy within his own game. And really, you could say the same thing over the past few weeks about the offense as a whole. And yes, Beltre's still out. They're still a few weeks away from having their cleanup hitter back. In the meantime, you've been dealing with guys like Chirinos or LaCroix or Napoli hitting in the middle of the order. And those guys have actually come on, and some even some people on the fringes of the lineup have started to put together a level of consistency. Um, do you feel like that 
this is attributed to what Anthony Iaposi did or what Mayshore has done or simply just guys that can hit finally getting past a bad month and being able to hit because there was a lot of discussion about, you know, at least among the fan base about what the coaching staff was doing as they trudged through April. Yeah, and I have no doubts that the coaching staff was doing the same thing in April that they did in May, and that is, is talk to guys about let's let's narrow our focus, let's let's go look for one pitch in one zone, let's let's make sure it's a pitch we want to hit and not a pitch that the pitcher wants us to hit. I don't think their message has changed at all. I do think I'm sure there have been some occasions where their voices or, or the timbre in their voices has raised a little bit. I think that uh, I think Jeff Bannister has pitched in with some of that, um, and, and I think by and large it's gotten through. I, I think the guy that, that that is still really struggling with being able to rein in his approach is, is Rignet Odor, and there's just too many cases of balls way outside the strike zone right now for him to be an effective hitter. Yeah, you know the thing that bugs me about that too with him, you know, he's such a little guy. It's not like. You know, you don't want any hitter chasing pitches. But when you're Josh Hamilton, when, when you're Joey Gallo, you're six four, six five. Your reach is a little bit better. You know, if someone's throwing the ball off the plate, those guys could still reach that, and, and many times Josh did. Rugi just can't do that. You know, he can't get right. there at his size, and and that's it. Just really difficult for me to watch him get up there and flail away at, at the plate. And and you know, when they sent him down. You know, you saw the great job that, that he did when he went down. They wanted him to go the opposite way, just, you know, go with pitches instead of trying to yank everything to, to right field. Um, and and it really worked. And I, I'm not saying that you can do that again. I don't think you can. But at some point, don't they have to say, hey, you, you know, uh, you maybe you need to sit down for a little while? I, I think that. I, I really do think that the idea of a, of a minor league demotion, while it's, it's certainly been something that fans have brought up, I, I do think that we've passed that state now. When you give a guy a $50 million contract, right. oh, I agree. Uh, you, you're kind of taking the minor off, off the plate. Uh, do you sit him down? I don't know if that's the best way that, that Odor would respond to things, but you may have to do the what Jeff Bannister likes to call unplugging a guy for a day or two. and. And I don't know when the right situation for that would be. And, and if it's, you know, if you put Pete Cosman in there or if you say, okay, we're going to call it pro far and let him play second base for a few days and, and let Ruggie try and, and figure this out. But you can't, you know, Vlad Guerrero was considered a bad ball hitter. He wasn't a bad ball hitter. He hit a few bad balls. But I, over the course of his career, I bet you that swinging at those bad balls did – less for him than his really good command of, of pitches that he could hit in the strike zone. And and I think that's what Ruggie's gotta Ruggie's gotta understand. You can't be you can't pride yourself on being a bad ball hitter. You can't pride yourself on saying, okay, I'm gonna take that pitch that I shouldn't be able to do something with and do something with it. Take the pitches that you can and capitalize on. I did see Guerrero hit a hit a ball once that bounced. So you know he he could he could do that. Of course, he's another big guy. You know, huge guy. Yeah, he did that. He did that one time. Kevin. <laughs> well, it was still pretty good. How many times do you want him to do it? It made him the best cricket player in Major League <laughs> yeah, Baseball. Absolutely, sure. Evan. You brought up a uh, name. I'm, I'm just saying. I'm, I'm saying there are going to be guys who are who have a tendency to do that. And yes, the guy with Guerrero who has incredibly long arms may have been a little bit more suited to do it than, than Ruggie. But I think by and large, bad ball hitters. 
they gain that reputation by the occasional hit on a pitch that's just ridiculously bad, but it doesn't it doesn't really help their batting average. No, no. Um, I think they I think they make more outs on those pitches than they than they really should be. Evan, you brought up a name of Pete Cosma had a big home run in the win Sunday over Detroit, his first home run in four years. He's actually acquitted himself pretty nice defensively when subbing for Gallo. I'm curious about what his fate with the club is going to be because Beltre is a couple weeks away. Uh, you would assume that that might be the end for Pete Cosma, at least in the here and now as a Texas Ranger. But with Hanser Alberto being on the shelf going on the 60-day DL, I feel like they're comfortable with Profar getting everyday playing time. Could Pete Cosmas stick? And and if so, who who goes down? Oh, I think Pete Cosmas pretty safe right now as a utility guy because they need that that middle infielder utility guy as a backup, and they don't really have that. Um, when Beltre comes back, you may have to look at at potentially uh, do you carry Hoying to play center field, or do you have to go back to? Uh, a center field situation with, with the shield there and then creating an opening in, in left field. Or, you know, Ryan Rua has gotten hot here lately. Does does? But until then, he had not been hitting left-handed pitching, which is his job. And I, I think you've got to have a utility guy. I, I think that's, that's a necessity. That's just an insurance policy. And I think mm-hmm. what you're going to have to look at is Either going to a six-man bullpen, which I don't think I could ever see Jeff Bannister doing, or um, or trimming down one of the outfielders. Evan, yeah, I want to go back to to Rugi and, and this hitting approach. One more one more thing. Uh, do you think in any way that he is resisting what they're trying to tell him, or he just gets up there and gets so amped up that he just forgets uh, everything that they say? I think he's willing to try and do what they say, but I also and I don't think he's. Um, Consciously resisting, I, I, but I do think he does pride himself on being a bad ball hitter, and, and and so I think that what his his view of what are pitches to attack and what Mayshore and uh, Iapose and and Bannister's view of what pitches are to attack might be a little bit different. Um, I, I I know that the guy's got the ability to. To, to do this, to rein it in, because he, he's done it, you know, two years in a row here. Um, he's just going to have to make the, I, I, he's going to have to make the adjustments now, and I think partly he's, there's, I'm sure there's some aspect of him that's saying, I need to live up to this contract. I'm sure there's some aspect of him that's saying, okay, Adrian Beltre is out of the lineup. This club has given me a big contract to be the new face of the organization, and I have to carry that. Um, and, and I think there's just some some over eagerness to him too. And, and so all those things are are things he's got to address as he continues to grow as a big leader. Evan, uh, let's shift over to the bullpen uh, in that game. Uh, Evan, how come we talked? How did we talk about your column already, and we haven't talked about mine? Who cares about that whole you know you Darvish thing? We talked about him last week. He's just he's a okay. big stiff. Come on. Um, now we'll we'll get to your little uh, your little column here in a minute. Um, but uh, what I want to talk about was that uh, in that game the other day, it was interesting to me that Sam Dyson came out um, and had some success, and then uh, Bannister brought him back out again the next inning. And I and I'm wondering if uh, if you ask him about that, did he do that because he saw something there and saw that maybe Dyson was getting back a little bit to what he was before? And he wanted him to continue that. 
I think that the overriding issue there was just that Matt Bush was, they were trying to stick away from Matt Bush, yeah. stay away from Matt Bush, and they planned on using Kella as a closer and didn't want to use Kella for more than an inning if they didn't have to. Um, so I, I think that that was their, that was their, their mode of operation there. But certainly getting the two strikeouts on the change-ups that had that downward sink uh, to, to end the inning, um, to end the seventh, were, were big moments for him. And uh, I, I think that some the question still is, well, he's going to be most effective if he can get the sinker to have that kind of action again. And I, he had, you know, he had one, and I tweeted immediately, I said, there's a good sinker from Dyson. Seven, you know, 97, it was really sharp dive down in the zone. He threw another one at 98, and it bounced in front of the plate. And so there's still not that consistency there. And um, But I do think that he can pitch a little bit more with the changeup now, and I think maybe that's the adjustment that he's, he's making that will allow him to be, uh, uh, again, a, an important part of the bullpen. It looked like his demeanor, though, was different. It got back to the badass 2015-2016 Dyson that could throw that bowling ball sinker. And, heck, he even got into it with Miguel Cabrera, which yeah. – I'm assuming was over. I don't think that was smart. Which, which you know, no, because Miguel Cabrera could probably eat him if he wanted to. Yeah. But it seemed like that you know he even after that issue with Cabrera about stealing signs or them having words when Miggy was at second base, it felt like he was pitching angry. And to get him back to that disposition, I think is that could be huge for this bullpen moving forward. Well, I, I think you can only pitch angry when you one or two things: you're completely confident in your stuff, or you just don't give an F anymore. And I, I, I think that he, probably he w- was leaning towards the latter of the two at this point. Um, and, and I, but I do think that once you have a little bit of success, it does give you the confidence to say, okay, I can do this again. You know, it's interesting to me, you know, they have said over and over and over again about his sinker that he needs to get on top of the ball uh, when he throws it. And if you watch that when they when they slowed that camera down, it is his fingers are always off three quarters on the ball, it, and that, and it just seems interesting to me that if this is what it's a little bit like Ruggy, although you do have more control over a baseball than you do a swing, um, but it it's almost like you know can you simply not do this anymore? Can you not get on top of the ball, or are you still just not still not have a feel for it? Yeah, that's a good question. I um. I, I saw the slow motion delivery again on Sunday night because I got a chance to actually watch the game on TV for a change, and and I did think yeah that it was more he wouldn't there wasn't much of a downward motion to his delivery it it, it looked like he was flinging it a little bit more and and I don't know if I'm just feeding into the narrative of this year or if you know if we saw a similar slow motion delivery from last year if we'd see much different and and I I haven't and can't make a call on that. So, so I guess my, my thought would be it did look like he's still not quite on top of the ball in, in terms of his delivery, but I can't pass an absolute judgment without seeing some kind of, of side-by-side video. And then, then Keone Kelly comes in, gets the save as Matt Bush is given a night off, and he looked dominant. He's actually been in a pretty good way maybe outside of the Marwin Gonzalez Grand Slam in Houston a few weeks ago. Do you feel like that – you know, he, he does have his hothead issues, and he's had stretches of success and failure as, as a major leaguer. Do you feel like he's getting to the point, maturity-wise, where he can handle 
adversity, maybe better better than he did a few years ago? Uh, I, I think he's always <laughs> handled adversity pretty well on the mound. I think he just uh, – I think he's like any young kid. You know, when you, you, know, you talk about that group under 25 – Keller just turned 24, so um, he is holding hitters to a 130 batting average this year and a 254 on base percentage. Um, and, and that that grand slam, that grand slam accounted for for three of the seven. That grand slam inning accounted for three of the seven hits he's allowed this year. So he's pitched really well. And I guess my point that I'm trying to make is that the, while we we've beaten up the bullpen a lot uh, early in the year, they have pitched well here lately. Uh, secondly, I, I don't think that the inconsistencies have been uh, as consistent throughout the whole bullpen. I think a lot of it has been Dyson's poor performance. I think I, I'm not sure about how the Rangers have used Jeremy Jeffress. I think he's done a great job with um, shutting down innings uh, with, with when he's inherited runners, but I'm not sure that that's his favorite role. And I don't know if. Um, and I don't know if the workload has had a little bit of an impact on him because he's thrown in an awful lot of games. Uh, but um, those are the questions I've got about about that. You know, Jeffers didn't even pitch in the in the Detroit series, right? Evan, actually, Jeffers has pitched once in nine days. So you got to believe right now that there's something. Uh, there's something that's not quite been right with Jeremy Jeffers. And real quick, what's the latest on Leclerc, who's been on the DL for now more than 10 days with the finger issue? Yeah, I, having just gotten back with the team, I'm gonna, that's, that's on my list of things to ask about today. Okay. Uh, uh, he had not been on a mound uh, at the end of the Philadelphia series, Um and that was going to be the next step. He was still having some soreness in his finger when he tried to grip the fastball. Evan, now let's get back to your little column uh, in which you talked about you Darvish. You said that you Darvish is coming back, and you's going to get his buddy uh, Otani to come over and room with. Him. Now you've promised the fan base this, basically. Yeah, that is correct. And if this does not happen, Evan, you're going to be run out of town, <laughs> which I think is probably well deserved. That's. That's probably true. I'll probably rerun out of town, and it probably won't happen. But I, I do think if you look at this Rangers organization and you look at the idea of, hey, you want to extend the window of opportunity, well, you've got, as you just said, you've got some really nice core players here, and you've got some nice young core relievers, too, if you want to put LeClerc and Kella uh, and, and even a young arm in Matt Bush, because I, I don't think that this, his arm matches his biological age because he hasn't pitched very long. Um, but you don't have any starters. Who, who, who is going to make up if, if you Darvish walks away after this season and Casher and Ross are free agents, uh, what you've got for a rotation right now is you've got A.J. Griffin, Cole Hamels, who may be on the downside now of his career, and Martin Perez, who he still has an awful lot of talent, but you haven't yet seen that consistent type of season. Who's at the front of that rotation? What what gives you any feel that that's a rotation that can keep you in contention all year? Well, you you feel like you have an Angels esque rotation if something like that happens, and, and that's that that's not a good thing. And you don't have anything at AAA, right? And I think that if you talk to every scout that goes through Frisco, 
they love Connor Sadzik, but think Connor Sadzik is going to be a back of the rotation, a back of the bullpen type arm. Mm. Uh, I think they feel like Johander Mendez is uh, inconsistent, and I think they feel like uh, Ariel Gerardo is a guy who could be kind of a back of the rotation type guy. You're not. You are at least two, three years away from if any of those guys who are at Hickory right now, if they hit, you're at least two or three years away from any of those guys. And so how how you contend without an ace, I don't know. Evan, so if this is the case then, and before the season started, in spring training, I wrote that the Rangers should re-sign Darvish then. Uh, oh, this is going to be a he wrote, I wrote. <laughs> yeah, 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 right. Because uh, I wanted to make sure that I was on the record first. Look, answer me this. Uh, who's keeping Darvish from coming back? Is it Darvish? Is it the Rangers? It's the Rangers at this point. I, I mean, I, 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 the player's never going to come to the team except in the most extreme of circumstances and say, hey, I want to sign a contract. Um, it's up to the team to to put a, uh, an offer on the table, and I I don't think the Rangers have had anything in the way of, of significant conversations with him at all. And, and I do think, look, if the Rangers feel like they have to make a one or the other choice, given everything I've, I, I feel like I've researched now on the Otani situation and and getting some clearance, some some clarification from some people within baseball about how that situation would be handled. You know, you're looking at a maximum, probably sixty million dollar investment in Otani to sign him. He's younger. It would make all the sense in the world that if you have a one or the other kind of situation, that you probably owe it to yourself to go and get Otani. But you don't have Otani on the roster right now, and there's going to be a lot of teams who are willing to pay sixty million dollars for Shohei Otani. So, so, so. Here's my issue. Why? Why is it that the Rangers did not want Darvish? Or not? I'm not saying they don't want him. I'm I'm saying, let's say if it's going to cost five years, 150 million dollars. Other than just the sheer expenditure of it, is there are there doubts that this organization still has about you, Darvish, as an ace? I think their doubts are more about the financial uh, impact. I think the doubts are more colored by. Since you Chu and Prince Fielder contracts, um, and what they've seen happen with guys that they've given twenty plus million dollars to, that's yeah. going to be a hard pill to swallow for fans, though. Considering that new park's opening up in twenty twenty, and they're fitting half the bill of a billion dollar stadium, that's going to that. If anything, I mean, not to say that butts won't be in seats in that new park for a few years, but that will sour a lot of people if you say, "Yeah, we're pleading poverty when." <laughs> You're opening up a brand new park, and the one you're in doesn't need to be, you know, torn down. Uh, I can't, I can't dispute that. I mean, I, I think that from a from a public relations standpoint, and public relations doesn't necessarily always mean the best business practices. But from a public relations standpoint, if you want to continue to build this organization into a long uh, kind of iconic franchise that has a chance to really have a 15, 20-year, maybe longer window of being among the best in baseball, then you've got to take the opportunity to say, okay, if we invest an extra $150 million here, it may hurt, and it may be something of a gamble because you never know with pitchers, but this is our best route to continue this without any taking steps back, 
without taking steps sideways. This is you, Darvish, statistically has been as good as any pitcher that the Rangers have ever had come through Arlington. And and, and Sean, when you and I were on the radio the other day, we talked about the guys that he ranks behind in terms of opponents on base percentage, um, and that was Blylevin, Jenkins, and Ryan. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked about. ERA, and the only guy he ranks behind with at least 50 starts for the Rangers is Blod Levin. Uh, we talked about his strikeouts. He's the best. His strikeout rate, he's the best in history. Um, we talked about his fielding independent pitching. He ranks second to, I believe it was, Ryan. Um, and, and so my point here is, is you Darvish is the best in his prime pitcher the Rangers have ever had, and it, it's it's time for for everybody to simply accept that and and try and and extend it without letting this guy get away. Evan, I know we got to wrap it up soon, but okay, let's let's do a little I guess mental mapping here. So, you Darvish is their best chip they could possibly trade at the deadline to get the most back. Yeah. You you would assume. Right now, at least it looks like they're going to be on the fringe of the wild card race, if not, you know, uh, another good month or two away from getting back in the division race with Houston. Is there a way, if you don't deal Darvish, if if you have the mindset you're going to pay him whatever he wants to stay here, is there enough assets currently on the club that you could somehow have your cake and eat it too by competing this year and moving a player or two at the deadline to try to fortify uh, the minor leagues that don't have a lot of, you know, major league ready starting pitching. Is there a way to even do that, or do you simply say we got to push all our chips in the table in seventeen and wait till the winter? Well, I think the best way to do that would be um, if if Tyson Ross comes in and is really successful, gate, then all of a sudden maybe you do have an extra pitcher. Maybe and, and if Cole Hamels is back at, at midseason, then all of a sudden you say. Well, boy, you, you Darvish sure would. We're not going to sign him, and he sure would bring a nice chip. And we think we've got enough pitching to continue this role this year. But that's a risky, gentlemen. That's a really risky kind of uh, approach to take. I think. Well, if you're not, you know, here's the deal: if you don't think you're going to, because I, I just feel like if he gets to the off season, that then his agent takes control, and then he's gone. I mean, you open him up to the to the open market, and it's going to go for more than what it's going to cost him now. And, and why would the Rangers be trying any harder after the season than they are right now? Apparently, they're not trying that hard. I don't. I, I really don't understand their mindset here. So uh, that, that's why I've kind of advocated. You know, I don't think you're going to get. Obviously, you're not going to get a huge return on him. But you never know. But do we know they're not trying hard? I, well, I, I don't know that. But but it, we got we got ideas. Yeah. You know, and uh, and I think if you were trying hard, you would have got it done. You would have got it done in the spring. I, I think the guy. To me, there's two things you got here. One is a guy who knows that this is a contract year, and boy, I'm going for it and I'm leaving. But we get some indications that he likes it here and wants to stay. If that's the case, then then why wouldn't but he? But no take athlete deal? can pay their agent what they pay them, <laughs> and don't allow them to get to free agency. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's that, that's the agent's job, and that's why I agree. In all likelihood, that's happening. I agree. All right, Evan, we're going to have to go. We've got to go talk to the Cowboys with Brandon George. Uh, but we've loved having you on. We'd love to have you on again sometime soon. Uh, when you can work it into your schedule, that'd be great. Maybe next week. Maybe next week would work for me. Oh, that'd be great. All right, safe travels, Evan. We'll talk to you soon.
There he goes. All right, bye. Peace, ciao. Love and, love and hugs. Yes, yes. And, and lobsters. All right, there's Evan Grant live from Boston as the Rangers, as we record this, start up a three-game series tonight at Fenway. Then they go to Toronto. Then it's back home for Tampa Bay next Monday. And then before you know it, we flip the calendar to June, and the Rangers have a big showdown series with the Astros. So a little Ranger talk this week on the Ballsy Podcast. We do appreciate you listening. Be sure to tune into our Cowboy Podcast this week as we talk to the Cowboys beat writer Brandon George for Kevin Sherrington and for our engineer Brian and for Evan Grant on the phone in Boston. Of course, I'm Sean Bass of The Ticket. We'll talk to you next week on the Ballsy Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Rangers Ballsy Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe via iTunes. You'll get new episodes every week. And follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Until next time, sports fans, see ya. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.